What's going on, Misfits? Coming to you live from Las Vegas. Well, I'm not currently at Las Vegas. Like I edited and put this together in Brooklyn, but I recorded it in Vegas because I was there all last week. But that goes to show you how much on top of things I am, even though this is going up late on a Wednesday night. Listen, okay, maybe I'm being too truthful. But irregardless, I know that's not a real word. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because I got to interview somebody I've never met before. Uh, Leo Flowers is a LA-based comedian, writer, and a anti-suicide activist who was with me this week at the Comedy Cellar at the Rio Hotel in Las Vegas. And we had a very lively conversation. We also uh, had a day of self-care together after about a week of being in the casino. We both needed a mental and physical break. So we went to a hot yoga class. We had a vegan raw breakfast. We went and did the zip line, which goes across the two towers of the Rio, which was very interesting because I was petrified. And he was trying to calm me down. But then when we got on the ride, I was like, cool. And he was freaking out. That just goes to show you how your mind can play tricks on you. But we had a very lovely conversation to end our week at the Rio. And um, we talked about some really interesting things. Uh, Suicide prevention is one of them. He's a very big advocate. You can check out Leo's podcast, Before You Kill Yourself. And talking about how to handle finding that true love or maybe not messing it up in the future. But so many other nuggets in this episode. I hope you enjoy all of it. You're listening to Social Misfit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Social Misfit with me, your host, Chloe Hilliard. And today I'm joined by comedian, writer, in lifesaver leo flowers yo yo what's up your boy leo flowers in the building <laughs> i don't know why i do that i do that all the time i i'm not a hip-hop person i've been usually very articulate but there's something about when people introduce me i feel like i gotta be a hype person for myself i'm gonna own that you gotta be that's right you gotta be a hype person for yourself uh, yes. don't wait for somebody to hype you up be like yo 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 anytime you're in a building you get introduced at a meeting, you're on a conference call, yo, 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 it's your boy Leo Flowers checking in, one, two, one, two, hype yourself up. Don't be waiting for somebody to hype you up. This is the hype as he's been all week. Leo and I have been performing this week at the Comedy Cellar at the Rio in Las Vegas, and this is the hype as he's been. Yeah, I'm off. The, I'm unhinged week. right now. That's because you're going home tomorrow. That's why. And I had some green tea, which I haven't had all week. Oh. I got that caffeine in me. Uh, Leo eats very, very clean. He he has um, rebuked the buffet of which we have free access to. Bite in the hand that feeds him. It's for the peasantry. I'm sorry. Uh, he's very concerned about people just eating at the buffet. The buffet is actually pretty okay. It's not that bad. It's not the food. It's the energy. It's the. It's all about. I'm at. The, I'm look. I'm 42. I'm at that age where it's about energy, atmosphere. I have to not only enjoy the food, I have to enjoy the, the surroundings and, the, and the, the conversations that people are having around Yeah, but, around you, but me. you don't have to worry about what other people doing. Well, focus on what you're doing. If, you there, if you were there mm-hmm. with myself and Ida, who also was here, and she also been on the show, Ida Rodriguez. If you were there with us engaging in conversation, you don't have to worry about how much uh, crab legs the people next to us have. Uh, it's not play. the worry. It's the absorption of it on a subconscious level. I don't even want to subconsciously be 
absorbing all the all the shenanigans taking place around me. People stockpiling twenty plates. I'm taking that into my subconscious. Then yeah, I, then no, I start I to think that that behavior is acceptable. It you is know not. it's not. You know it's not, it's acceptable, not acceptable. But it. But you also have to allow people to have that one time experience. I do. That's why I go it's, somewhere else because I, I want to allow people to have yeah. my seat at that buffet while I go to Whole Foods and uh eat whole foods you sound in a, like in a, people, in a very good environment you sound like people who critique um like poor people for buying expensive jordans i critique everyone no no one is <laughs> <laughs> everybody gets it whether you are the one percent or the 99 percent. i i got something to say right Yes. Speaking of which, can you please read us your social media post? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. It's been a while since I've had somebody on here who actually had a social media post, so I'm very excited. I want to thank the Motherfucker Awards for an amazing night and allowing me to receive a Motherfucker Award on behalf of PG&E for doing the most damage to our planet. Hashtag mock award show. Hashtag suit was too tight our word is tight j crew suit it was real <laughs> tight it was hugging everything hashtag returned it all the next day hashtag even the 500 dollars white shoes hashtag 500s is too much uh for rent you rented white shoes so <laughs> no uh too much uh meaning 500 dollars is too much even for rent like i paid oh. 500 dollars for those shoes you bought a pair of white shoes for so here's the thing the motherfucker awards was uh, put on by a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and it's a mock award show. Is it the first year? Or it's been it's the first year. Oh, okay. And was it a good attendance? It was. It was sold out theater in uh, Inglewood, like two, three hundred people, and they had six red cameras, so they had like like real production behind this. is It's only going to get better every year. It's going to be something incredible that at some point we'll see on. Uh, television, I I think, but they're going after Coca Cola, PG and E, Wells Fargo. So I don't know where they go, where their advertising is going to come from, yeah. right? Um, so this might be an internet underground thing. But anyway, so the whole idea of the show was, you know, uh, they had myself and five other different comedians who were receiving awards on behalf of these companies who are destroying our planet from Chase Bank. Mm-hmm. To well, to Coca Cola, to PG and E, the electric company, who is now uh, filing bankruptcy after they were because they were in charge of seventeen out of the last twenty one wildfires in California. In California, and you know what the real source of the wildfires are? What compensation? What do you mean? So the way these the way PG and E works, the 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 managers uh, do not make bonus do not get money, are not compensated if there are too many complaints that come in from customers. Mm-hmm. So when customers start, so, uh, but the, 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 the conflict is, is that when winds start to kick up, that pushes the, uh, the electric lines close to trees and things like that, mm-hmm. which then can spark a fire, which yeah. is what happened, right? 
Um, so when PG&E are, are aware of high winds, they can shut it down, shut down the electricity, which then shuts down electricity to people who live and in that complain. grid. And then they complain. And then you don't get, and your, then you don't get, your, you don't get your compensation. So the manager would rather keep the electricity flowing, risk the wildfire so that he doesn't – because he doesn't lose his bonus for the wildfire. He only loses it if people mm. complain, which I'm like – Everybody's complaining now because it's a wildfire, but because it's not like a direct, it's not his direct, you know, it's kind of like when you have flood insurance Mm -hmm. and they find a way not to give you the money because it's like, yeah, your place flooded, but it was because the pipes burst in your house versus like an external, that kind of thing. But my thing is you, but if you, uh, they don't have any better power line system than the wires being able to touch the trees and spark fire. Like they can't enclose the wires. You know, you know, it's 2019. They have a million ways to make it yes. 10 times safer. And but that I would mean a change in their infrastructure, which mm-hmm. would mean money, which then it goes back to money. Right. Because then that would mean that they might have to report a loss because they have to put so much money yes. into restructuring things. So. It, no, it means it that the top brass comes, wouldn't get their bonuses, right, absolutely. Their million dollar plus bonuses. So it all it always comes back to money, unfortunately, or or uh, um, misplaced values. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let's talk about that. So I, you know, we did this award show. It's on YouTube. It was great, and uh, it really, it really made me realize like you can't escape the, for lack of a better word, the fuckery. Mm-hmm. You know, like so many people walking around like, oh, yeah, I could, you know, like I, I recycle and I, I would never I would never uh, buy anything from that company. Oh, I can't believe that you're supporting this. It's like we are all supporting the fuckery of the planet. Yeah. You know, there's this right right now, like the whole thing about um, uh, recycling. You know, you go to Whole Foods and people are like, oh, you got to put in this bin, you got to put in that. And they have like four or five different bins. But when was the last time somebody educated you on how to recycle, yeah. on what goes where? And so Whole Foods does not recycle. It's just the perception. It makes people feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. So they just dump it all in the trash. Because even if everybody put the right stuff in the right bin, all it takes is for one person with a lack of awareness to dump in a can of Coke that spills onto everything else to destroy everything, that, to make everything in there unrecyclable. Yeah. It doesn't take much. So people don't realize, like, you have to be able to, it's not just about putting your cup when you're done with it in the trash. You have to make sure the cup is clean. Mm-hmm. Then you have to make sure there's not a label on a cup. All those things, like, affect whether they can recycle, because they, they ain't got the money and time to be sort, sorting it yeah, out and no. cleaning it out and all that stuff. So people, it's not enough for you people just to be putting your stuff in the right bin. And most buildings have stopped recycling because it, uh, it's, too it, it's too labor intensive. And, you know, now you got Amazon over here with, you know, people. Know. And, and once again, I'm supporting because uh, I buy stuff off. I buy stuff off Amazon. I feel bad too. I just started doing Amazon Fresh, yeah. The groceries mm. and the 
the wastefulness they have with mm. the with the bagging, the baggage and the packages and the dry ice and the ice boxes. Yeah. And like it's like I don't need all of that stuff. Yeah. Like I don't need dry ice to keep something cold. I mean, it's not first of all, it's not summertime. It's cold as fuck. So I got <laughs> deliveries with ice with like dry ice in it. And it was like twelve degrees outside. I was like, this is a waste. Now I gotta figure out how to dispose of fucking dry ice. Absolutely. Right. But you know, and and is your well the product is probably coming from a warm climate. You know, yeah. it, it's all the gas and the whatever just to get to your place. And uh, you try to do the right thing. And now, um, like the building I'm living, they had to hire an extra guy because people are ordering from Amazon. It's creating so much trash. Wow. And it's always clogging up the bins. I'm surprised there aren't more building fires because mm. of all the when i was a kid our Boxes. building caught on fire oh really oh yeah and it started uh in a trash bin and i could just i could see that at some point just it'd be you if a if a trash uh shoot, shoot mm-hmm. caught fire that's it that's the say like it's from the 33rd floor and it's clogged up it's a wrap yeah Woo! somebody opens the door boom come on man i don't even think they I don't even think they should use those boxes anymore. I don't know what they could do, but there was a company uh, I invested in in college that were making recyclable um, McDonald's um, Big Mac boxes, and it was something that would uh, decompose after like seven days. And I, I was like, "This company's about to blow up because they were getting a military contract. It was still in like the beta phase." And then I was like, oh, if this McDonald's thing goes, because at the time it was like a dollar fifty a share, two dollars. Yeah. So I just knew I I was about to be like, yeah. booyah, you know. <laughs> um, and they went under. And I think what happens is, is these bigger companies they buy them out and they yeah they you know they they get, they kill the technology absolutely they did that with the electric car uh, yeah oh let's don't even get me started on next <laughs> an electric car please don't even get me started because we could i just i get angry about it because right. i'm like we could have been technologically absolutely. we could have been so much further advanced if greedy motherfuckers didn't kill progress but we're talking about coal right now i know <laughs> still talking about coal i read somewhere that there there are more certified there are more certified yoga instructors than there are coal miners in this country. I believe it. I believe. I mean, yoga is uh, is big business right now. I know, it's but a lot of money in mindfulness. Ugh, yeah, there is. There. That's why self help books sell so much every year because everybody's trying. Everybody's trying to improve themselves, but they really don't want to do the work to improve. They themselves. don't because there's. No, you know what? There is no group help section. There's no social help section. Yeah. There's no. We help us help. Everything's about the self, the I. And uh, I remember I was doing a show in L.A. And uh, after the show, I was talking to this guy. And I was like, you know, what are you about to do now? And he's like, we're going to go blah, blah, blah. And I knew he was by himself. And I was like, we, like, who else are you going? He was like, oh, just myself. I was like, why'd you say we? He goes, we don't have. I in our in our language, everything is we, mm-hmm. and that to me was always like a powerful reminder of, you know, when you use we and us mm-hmm. more than I, it reminds you of how connected you are to something you know bigger than yourself versus 
um, I'm just out here. I'm just out here by myself. I'm just yeah. out here doing. It's like it ain't just you. Yeah. Like we're we're a collective. We're we're connected. Uh, we're tribal people. Even somebody living off in the woods is there's a, there's a connection there mm-hmm. um, that that we all have. So now, what made you do the award show? Is it is it something that you feel very strongly about? Um, you know, I'm um, you know, it's that thing of a part of me is anti-establishment, and it, it's part of it is rooted in my mother was, uh, well, before that. Watching my mom work uh, two jobs and still feeling like she didn't have enough. Mm-hmm. And I just remember as a kid thinking, how the hell are you working two jobs and you still ain't got enough money? Yeah, I was like, what the hell am I going to get a job for? I, I'm, <laughs> I'll get a job, make money and still not have enough. Yeah. And, and not that we didn't have like there was always food in the fridge. I went to a Catholic school. So, I, you know, I, I had my own room and my own bathroom. I grew up very well. Um, but at the same time, I was always aware of how fragile my well, my wellness was, you know what I mean? Like we were just a paycheck or two away from all this, uh, disappearing. And I mean, thank God it never happened, but I I was aware of the fragility of it. But I just also remember thinking, why are you working for these? Like, and why isn't she being promoted? Like she got the same pretty much the same job and not that she wasn't getting raises but i just was like there's something um it was was something about that that bothered me as a youth and then you know she i think she worked there like 30 40 years or something like that and then was laid off i was like how does company just gonna lay you off like that and Mm -hmm. give you like you know whatever they gave you whatever i was like ain't no security in that yeah so there was always that thought but to double down on it, my father's from uh, of why I'm uh, why I'm uh, anti-establishment. My father is from Anniston, Alabama, and Monsanto had uh, their plants, uh, their factories there, and they were poisoning the soil and the water because they were just dumping shit wherever they. That's what that's what these companies do. They go to the south and they just dump their shit there. Even New York was putting their trash on trains and just sending it to the south and then it would just sit on train tracks and funking up the place like it's not like they sent it to the south to go to like a landfill they would just put it on these trains mm-hmm. and it would just be sitting in the middle of nowhere wow. um which i think they stopped doing but because of course people complain but they they were doing it for a while but anyway so monsanto was destroying the soil and water and to the point where the cancer rate in the town was above 50% and the infant mortality rate was also above 50%. It was like 60, 70%. It was something ridiculous. So eventually they take him to court, class action lawsuit. After years in court, decades in court, to the point where like my father passed away before it even went through, they win $700 million. That's the settlement. And I get the letter. I'm excited. I'm like, you know, about whatever my cut's going to be. And this is the entire town. Entire town, seven hundred million. How many people in the town? I don't know. It's a small town. I never, I've never been there. Um, I didn't grow up with my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. I saw him maybe like once, twice a year. And I get the the letter settlement seven hundred million. 
And then I have the check also attached. $2.14. I have two sisters. So we had to split $2.14, which worked out evenly. We got 70 cents each. You know, everybody was, there was no, or uh, $2, it was $2 and like 10, whatever, 7, 14, 21. So it was $2.10. So I remember it would be, I was like, oh, this is, at least we can split this evenly. And there's no, who gets the, the, the penny, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then when I started to read about Monsanto and, and what they are continuing to do, in terms of not just destroying soil and water in our environment, but just destroying people and indiv- farmers, mm-hmm. and and how they are um, making it hard for the, them to be independent. Yeah, and, absolutely. And they own. So basically, if you don't know, Monsanto has genetically engineered all of their seeds, mm-hmm. and then they license them to farmers to use and grow the crop and then the farmer has to turn over whatever unused seeds back to monsanto monsanto because it's copyright copyrighted and if it's found that you have have kept any of their seeds you get fined and they can you know screw up your whole life so when you're looking at your vegetables like yeah it's a carrot but it's a copywritten carrot that somebody owns and the farmer is basically just like the middleman who um who grows it and tends to it but they don't really get the bulk of the financial success behind it and what's crazy is san diego is right now suing monsanto because now they're poisoning the water around san diego mm. now if you if you don't if you've never been to san diego you don't know anything about so there's money in san diego yeah there are um uh people who are, who are usually doing very the majority is yeah. in san diego so if they're doing that in San Diego, I can't imagine the type of debauchery and and shenanigans they're pulling uh, in smaller, in, lower in income small, smaller, communities. Lower yeah. income communities. And so this is not this is not a blame. This is not a you know. This is just this is what it is, and this is in the news, and this has uh, been going on for a long time. So. Uh, and then, oh, and then the new is like Monsanto Roundup raises cancer risk 41%. Yep. It's just, and Bayer just bought them out. So what? <sighs> so what was the response to this award show? Um, Like, did you have to write a speech as, so you basically, you accepted this speech as if you were actually. As I, right. So I, I kind of, I played, uh, uh, who's the guy from show me the money. Uh, oh, Jerry Maguire. Oh, Jerry Maguire. So I pl- I kind of played uh, the um, Cuba Gooding. Uh, Cuba Goop. Gooding you know, I, I kind of played it up like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the the hills, the hills, the hills are on fire. We don't need no water. <laughs> just some Santa Ana winds and drought to let this motherfucker burn. So I, I, went up, I was just ridiculous. I just had fun with it. And uh, the audience loved it. Um and so how did you become so socially conscious when it comes to like the planet and eating and you know you eat very clean how did you get start to give a fuck about mother nature coming from chicago you grew tell us a little so you grew up in chicago i grew up in chicago uh close to the lake mm-hmm. so you know I, I think part of it is i just love being outside you know, I was that kid who I just woke up and went outside. There was no, 
you know, I'm not, I wasn't, you know, there are kids who you have to push them out the door. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that kid. I was already out there. You'd be like, hey, go out. And be like, oh, he's already, you know, I'm, I'm gone. Pew! And I wouldn't come back until I had to come back. Like, I would just find stuff to get into. So, you know, part of it to me is because being outside, being outdoors, being active, the sun, being out in the sun, uh, interacting with people, seeing people, uh, that's important to me. It's a lifeline for me. So anything that uh, disrupts, disturbs, uh, destroys that uh, is going to bother me and upset me. And especially if I'm like, it doesn't have to be. We have such a, you know, I was talking to some people about this where we, we, we're so obsessed with greatness and progress that, and I understand like, I'm always looking to improve myself and how to get better and how to move forward and, uh, and how to grow, um, but at some point there, I feel like there has to be a level where it, it it can't be about me growing. It has to be about helping someone else grow. Yeah. Right. And I feel like, you know, when you have companies like Amazon and uh, Facebook, it's all about them growing. And it's like, how much more do you need to grow? Why can't you, you know, help others? But then there's the catch 22 because because of Amazon's growth, they are employing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So if they slow down and scale back, they can't employ. It, it's this like, what is the? But there's employment. There's employment, and then there's gainful employment. And there was a what was a what was the 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 boss? What was a big convention that they just had in like Europe? The DeVos E eight what? No, it was the DeVos the DeVos. Um, this huge like think tank event that happened in Europe somewhere about like all these global leaders and multi-millionaires and billionaires um trying to come together and figure out like oh the world economic forum forum devos 2019 so i had all of these people from all over the world all these great thinkers these fortune 500 companies all of that stuff and there was this one panel and it was this guy i gotta find his name but it was this guy and he's basically talking about how Yes, we have um, we have too many billionaires in the world and we need to do a better distribution of wealth. And if you took some of the money from the top 1%, they would help fund like, you know, damn near the rest of the people in the world. And so this one guy who was like a former CEO of this company came up and he was like, you know, I've been hearing a lot of bad things about, you know, companies and making money but like you know in america the employment rate is down and you know people are working and we don't ever talk about that and then this other woman that was on the panel was like well you keep saying that people are employed but they are not gainfully employed there's employment and then there's like actual work that makes you feel better as a person she says i represent women who work in america and they work on these chicken chicken farms and they're slaughtering chickens but they have to kill them and defeather so many a day that they can't even go to the bathroom they have to wear pampers they have to wear like depends so they can just use the bathroom and keep working and so and so she said to the fortune 500 guys like is this the quality of life that you are talking about like yes they have jobs but these are not good jobs that make them feel good about being a human being this is jobs that breaks your spirit and i think we've lost sight of that like people should still be treated as human beings 
instead of just saying, well, you got a job. And it's like, yeah, but they're not happy and they're still struggling, but they have technically they have a job. Right. It's because, it's, you know, your job isn't shouldn't just be about money and collecting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's, you should feel like uh, it, you're making a difference and you're contributing to something uh, larger than yourself. Right. Um, there's a book by I can't remember his name, but he's talking about uh, what are the components of having drive? Mm-hmm. And he, he called it uh, his, the acronym is MAP. Um you want to feel some level of autonomy. Uh, you want to have a level of purpose. And uh, I forget what the M is. I want to say uh, measurability or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but in a job where you're just defeathering people, there's, yeah, you got autonomy to a certain extent, but you're not, you're just a robot. Like, yeah. there's no thought in that. And there's no... And you're doing the job that no one else wants to do, but you have to, to do it. Absolutely. And it's not something you want to... You can brag about and you don't feel good about yourself. And it's the same thing every day. There's no there's no growth. You're not building something. You don't feel like you're creating mm-hmm. something. Um, it's just a... It's, it's not the type of job that... Um, that, that, you know, I, I, that you would... That would keep you alive, that feeds your soul, that yeah. gets you excited to get up in the morning, you know? And people should have that. They should have that fulfillment. But you have multiple jobs. You're a comedian, but you're also a personal trainer. So that allows you to deal with people one-on-one mm-hmm. and, and change lives. How did you get into that? So you're, you're into healing work of sorts. Absolutely. I mean, t- to me, you know, when people, you know, when you're a kid, people always ask, what do you want to do? And to me, that's that's not the right question. The question is, what do you want your life to be about? Because when you when you have identified what you want your life to be about, then it doesn't really matter what you do because you could you could find a way to tie it into your theme. Does that make sense? So yeah. even going back to the the people who are defeathering and shitting on themselves and things like that, it's yeah, you know, on one hand it sounds horrible, but the person who's doing that with a strong purpose and you know, if, if they got to feed their kids mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and the belief that they're not always going to be doing this, uh, that person is going to uh, have some confidence about what they're doing and some uh, self-esteem about it versus. Because it doesn't define them. It it's doesn't a, define it them. Absolutely. Yeah. Because astronauts have to wear a diaper and uh, surgeons have to wear a diaper for those. Sometimes they have like 24-hour surgery, so they end up, you know having this shit on themselves too. So it's, it's not what you're doing per se. It's why you, why you think you're doing what you're doing mm-hmm. because you know, there are people who are, you know, we do stand up. There's some people who do stand up and uh, feel like they're delivering a message and it's a way to help mm-hmm. make people's day better. There's some people who are like, they feel like monkeys up there. They're like, we just dance some monkeys. They're just laughing at us. Ha ha. Um, there, uh, there are people who feel like anybody could do what they're doing. And this is re- like, so it's how you feel about what you're doing yeah. and the and the purpose behind it. And so. I stop um, asking people what they do. Mm-hmm. Like if, um, especially if I'm talking to younger people and they're in college and they're studying something. And they say, oh, I say, what are you studying? And they say, oh, I'm studying X, Y, and Z. What I say is, okay, well, what do you want to do with that? 
because just because you're studying that thing doesn't mean you want to do that thing, but you may want to apply it to something else. So I think when I ask questions from younger people, like, what do you see? Instead of like, what do you see yourself in 10 years? It's like, okay, what do you do? What do you want to do with this information that you've acquired? And then they think about it and they're like, oh, well, I think I want to do this and this and this and this and that versus being locked into like, I'm going to be a doctor. But even being a doctor doesn't doesn't necessarily have the full purpose. Like, do you want to be a doctor or you want to save lives? Yeah, because, I mean, being a doctor means so many different things. Mm -hmm. Like um, I was just talking to a friend who is a therapist and he said as he was going through the, the program, he was like, ooh, he's like his first year, he was bored or just felt disconnected. He was like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. This is kind of boring. And but now he's he's been a therapist for a while. He's figured out how to inject his different values into his work. Because he didn't just want to be the guy who's just sitting across from you mm-hmm. hearing your story. He he also values being very active and outdoors. Um and so now he's finding a way to bridge the two in terms of taking therapy outdoors into the wilderness, into making it like uh, a retreat or a more experiential versus just this one-on-one where we're sitting across from each other uh, in a room staring at each other. And so, you know, when you're thinking about, so for me, like with stand-up comedy, you know, to me it feeds both two things that I value or three things that I value. One is travel. I love to travel. Uh, two, I love to, to talk to people, but like talk to people. Mm-hmm. I'm not really about engaging. engaging. <laughs> um, unless it's one-on-one. I just don't like yeah. group situations. And and then three, uh, novelty. Like I really crave novelty and, and uh, is every audience is new. Uh, going to different places and exploring, you know, it feeds my, I, I bore very easily. So I, I need to have places and things I can explore and, and tinker with and um, uh, learn about. Like I, I need, I always need like a, a rich environment. I mean, I can, I can also, I'm also very good at just sitting by myself and like just exploring my mind and thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. And like that fascinates me. But also need the physical exploration of, of things. How you did know? you get into comedy? Because you say on stage that you used to be a counselor for inmates in married couples. Yes. So how did and when did all of this happen? Like when did what what was, what's the timeline? So you oh, graduated school. You so, played football in school. You graduated, got your degree. You went into counseling and then comedy. Basically, mm-hmm. um, when I was in college, I played high school. I played high school in college football. Um, and what position? defensive tackle so really? i was 275 i was much oh, bigger I was say, um and i know right <laughs> people are like what uh so much bigger much stronger uh but now i'm much more functional and much more flexible because <laughs> i do i do high yoga <laughs> yeah it's weird like i could do things that physically now that i couldn't do back then but also the things that whatever so uh but going through my my undergrad was, it started out, I wanted to be a profiler in the FBI. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. I was like in the serial killers. And then uh, once I realized that it would require me uh, just going in and out of jails and, um, you know, I don't like that clanking of a door sound. I was like, I got to figure something else. And I also realized um, it's not, it, it doesn't help any, I, I didn't see the value in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but I went to stay in psychology and then 
when I got into my master's program, uh, oh, when I was an undergrad, I started working at a group home. And I was working with kids who were either placed there by the court because they were a, or they were violent or they came from a violent household. So either they were the abuser or the abusee, but for one of the, they were there for either or reason. So working with those kids, and these were phenomenal kids. I mean, their stories were, some of their stories were tragic, especially the ones who had been abused. Mm-hmm. And you just like, I can't believe that you've been through all that and you're still here um, kind of thing. And, um, but it also, like, I learned a lot about myself working with the kids and then teaching those kids. Like, that was so fulfilling. Um, you, like, you just saw, like, how long it really takes to create change in someone. But then when you see it, you actually do see you can see, you could literally see them turning a corner and yeah. you'd be like, oh, man, that's really rewarding and fulfilling. So I kind of got that bug. Um, and then when I went to go get my master's, I wanted to study uh, suicides in the African-American community because uh, it was spiking. But it was also uh, not spiking, but it was increasing, but especially in black males. Um and even though it was lower than white males, the reason wasn't because we were killing ourselves uh, less. It was, had more to do with the fact that we would put ourselves in dangerous positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because, you know, in African-American community, there's a I mean, in most communities and cultures, there's a stigma around uh, committing or you yes. know, completing suicide. Relig- for religious reasons. Absolutely. Like you're going to die. You're not going to go to heaven. And. and the and so in uh minority communities the the way that uh, uh black men had would typically commit suicide is death by cop or join a gang or just increase their risky behaviors they would do suicide missions absolutely absolutely and so you know so the numbers there's a, there's a great you know, you yes. know right you get it so that became really fascinating to me. But then I got in a, but the, the program, I didn't have anything specifically for that. So I got into vocational rehabilitation, which then got me into counseling. I had a, I had a, a professor there who uh, mentored me throughout my undergrad and grad experience and um, loved the, the work that I did and saw a lot of potential. And so, like, he always had me, had me doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing at the level I was at. <laughs> Um, but he was like, but I, I know he you can do this stuff. You. Yeah. So I was counseling inmates and then, uh, and, and married couples at the same time. Cause they, they both fascinated me. I was fascinated by inmates in terms of the level of intelligence. A lot of them had, mm-hmm. like you were so smart that you pull this, this bank heist off yes, uh, and you could have applied it to so many other things. So really trying to understand, um, what, why you went this direction the versus the right yeah. because you easily could have been a CEO or business owner or whatever. Um, and then married couples were fascinating to me because it's like I nobody in my family is on my mom's side at least is, is has stayed married. It's all divorces, all single women. Um, and then the one married couple that stayed married forever, he ran his wife over. When we think it was, it was, he says it was accident, but the family thinks it was intentional. 
So he's she, still. She's passed away. Yeah, she passed away. But they were an old couple. You know, he he was like, I didn't see her. And how old is old? Um, old enough for for it to be a plausible, a plausible. Where was she situation? standing at? In right the behind driveway? her car in the driveway. And he, he didn't see her. Yeah. It was she short. She, yeah, they're short, but they oh, I I I mean the the, the I. What did you th- what does your gut tell you? I, I to be honest, I don't know because I I I wasn't around them enough. Did and you do I didn't even realize there was any you know, it wasn't until after that, you know, my family was telling me like about like the the arguments and the, the tension between them. But I, I didn't I had But no like idea. did he get a hot new girlfriend after? Did he throw all her clothes out? Like did he do nah, anything nah, that nah, would like nah. led you to believe like oh he was ready for I don't her to think go? So or uh, maybe he bought a car after or something like that. It mm-hmm. was so long ago. And you know, and I grew up where you just didn't ask questions. You were mm-hmm. just like, All right, what well, you know. And so uh but I just, but it, you know, I remember it being weird that that first Thanksgiving after he, because he was there, like, can you pass the potatoes? He's like, you killed yeah. your wife, sir. <laughs> how about you? How about no killers at the table? So I and but going back to the the counseling married couples because I was the oldest, I have a younger sister. I had my mom and my sister would get into these these battles, these huge. Wars. My sister is four years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Door slamming, I hate you, profanity, all this stuff. And I would have to sit them both down and be like, all right, we got to figure this out. And now, I'm like, what did you say you had to? Who told you that? It was just the, 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 the weight that I felt. And, and then it got to the point where my mom was like, you know, wait till your brother gets home and then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that it was that kind of thing. So and you were the so man of the house. I was you were the I voice was, of reason. I was I was everything. I was the I was the boyfriend, the 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 husband, the son, the the I was you know, when you there's a book called Silently Seduced and it's about uh boys who grow up in uh a single parent home mm-hmm. but with especially with the opposite parent and then that the opposite parent uh, in some way, objectifies the young boy to become a fill-in, a fill-in, yeah, for all the things that are missing. Which you know, I didn't, I didn't realize. It, you know, there was so it, you know, the book is like there's some there's a level of emotional abuse that is a part of that. That's, mm-hmm. but as a kid, I'm not registering it like that. I'm kind of I'm taking pride in the fact that you know I get to sit mom and and my yeah. sister down and. Uh, and I felt good that mom was coming to me and uh, here's a chance for me to resolve this. But did you ever address this with your mom as a, as an adult? Uh, did you see- on, on some level. Did, how did the, how did that experience as a child being the mediator between two women in your household impact your dating life or your relationships with women? Uh, well, let's change it to does impact my dating life because okay. I'm still, cause I'm just, I just read the book. And I'm just wrapping my head around the whole thing, but to 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 to, to summarize it, basically, I'm in a place now where I'm focusing on moving from illusion to intimacy. Mm-hmm. Before everything was uh, about sex, and you know, I be I get upset if I wanted to. 
and she wasn't in the mood. And but also uh also realized like I would I was like a serial monogamist. Every two years I'd be like over the illusion of and the idea of who she was and what we were. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be like ready to move on. But you would do two full years. Uh, on average. Ooh. You know, I just and not even consciously i would just looking back you know you get to a point where you're like what's going on here and i'll be like oh there's like this two-year <laughs> cycle that i have where i'm just like deuces you know and and that's about the point where things do start to become more intimate mm-hmm. once i read that i was like oh. and it's true because i'm like always was always trying to lead with sex mm. and and then you get it, and then there's this kind of unfulfillment that comes with it because you hadn't really established a connection. A connection, mm-hmm. and you know, and but the but the women who I I have had, I I was friends with first and had this strong connection with, we're still friends to this day. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that I I didn't have that as a as a foundation, we were we're no longer we don't talk. It's not that we're not friends. Yeah. It was just a clean break. There's no. There's no extended. So, you know, I see um, I see the value in establishing uh, groundwork and and real connection before moving on to something else, because I, 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 I'm very like impulsive also. So I'd be like I could very easily be like, let's get married. Like I just got out, out the moment. But. <laughs> And I'll feel that, but I won't say it because I recognize how ridiculous it is. But then you hear people who who have done it, and you know they've been married. Is there anybody in your mind where you thought, "Oh yeah, let's get married," and you look back and be like, "That could have actually worked out"? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, So wait, did I tell you the story? What about about Boston? About Boston? Yeah, I told you. So, uh. When I was in, I, when I first moved to LA, I was 20, what was I, 21? 20, yeah, 21. What made you move to LA real quickly? I, I was deciding between LA and New York. So basically I did a I did a play. I was like, oh, let me try this acting thing. Because I actually wanted to, to do acting in high school, but it conflicted with my football schedule. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I ain't giving up football for for theater. Are you kidding me? Um, but then when I was about to graduate from grad school, I go, oh, what am I going to do now? Because I still... Hadn't found that thing that uh, in grad school that I was like, ah, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, I was thinking corporate wellness. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to sit in a room with yeah. two. And I felt like I was too young also to be counseling married couples. Like, you, yeah, I got you, a degree, but what the hell am I doing experience. here? I need life. After the play, everybody's like, you should move to L.A. And I was like, you're right. I should move. Because, you know, you're young, your ego. You're like, I'm about to be a star. You know, I'm killing it here in Indiana. Of course, I'm gonna blow out. I'm gonna I'm I'm blow up in uh, in L.A. Uh, so I was like, man, should I go to L.A. and New York? So I went to New York first, and I remember as soon as I landed, and it was like maybe October, November, and I just remember like it was dark, it was cold, it was wet and expensive, and I was like. I can't do this. Mm. This is I'm from Chicago. I've already experienced this. And I didn't even I never even visited LA. I just bought a ticket and then I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have a plan, nothing. And I was like, oh, I'm going. So I moved out there and then thankfully I had a cousin who lived there. 
stay with my cousin for way too long. Are um, you still cousins to this day? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, not not that long, but 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 too long for the situation. Yeah. And uh, and and then you know I, I I got into it, so I started. I got an agent immediately. Like well, like you know, in a couple of weeks, I had an agent, a reputable agent, or just a like, reputable. Like oh, I was okay. going out on like Nike auditions, like for a commercial agent, yeah. not TV. So I was go- I was going out on Nike auditions, Reebok. Like you know, she was getting me out there. Um, I had a shady. Uh, I had a bunch of shady TV uh, manager agents and oh, stuff okay. sending me out on crazy stuff. But I got very lucky with the commercial agency side. But even though I, I never booked anything, but I never. I took my um I didn't take it seriously enough. I I really thought that my energy, my charm would be enough. Mm. And so I never took classes, I never took And it well, well let me you take want, that you back. You wanted to be the Hollywood fluke story. Like I just walked in and then my life changed. Uh and but the other part was I take that back. I did take I took two classes. And they were both like shams, um, you know what I mean? They were horrible commercial. And so I, I quickly because I was just saying yes to everything, and it was like, hey, I got a class. Oh yeah, I'll sign up for that. And there was no research involved. I didn't know how to read. I was just like a class is like because of the educational system I came up in. A class was a class. Yeah. Like you didn't have to worry about if it was real. Real. And so I lost, I spent a lot of money very early on, on these classes and teaching and and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it was all, uh, it was all money going towards, I was putting all my stuff into the wrong stuff. So by the time I realized that I was, I was damn near broke. I went out there with A plus credit and had a lot of money on my credit card. And then all of a sudden, like I'm struck and but it's also because I grew up in systems, right? Mm-hmm. The school system, uh, in college, you are you're not really living your life. Like everything is. I mean, especially as a student athlete, right? Student athlete, everything's planned out for yes. you. Yes. So now this is the first time in my life where I actually have to really think about money and time and stuff that I've never thought about and never was discussed in a household. Mm-hmm. My credit is shit. I'm looking at being evicted. Um, I get evicted. Going back to the the love of my life. Yes. So I uh, I lose all my money and then uh, I get a job working at a group home again, and uh, and I start to hate that. So I start screwing up that job. I get fired from there. Or I quit. I quit there. And I was like, I gotta find something to do. And as I'm uh, uh, running out of money. You know, to get the eviction notice. I'm watching MTV, but I got the sound down. It's just on, but it was, I'm doing stuff around the house. And I see this black woman, and I'm like, I don't know who this is, but that is my future wife. She's wearing a Stanford T-shirt, which is something about how she was moving. I was like, ooh, intelligent, fucking fire. I just, she's, she's beautiful. And two years later, I'm I'm broke. I'm living out my car. I'm at a laundromat and I'm in a parking lot of the laundromat. And I'm so broke that I'm digging in the car seat for change. Like I'm I'm looking for quarters to wash my clothes. But at the same time, 
I have a show that night at the Laugh Factory. This is my first show at the Laugh Factory. So I'm excited. I'm bro- I'm dead broke, but this this show tonight at the Laugh Factory on a on a hot show. I've been trying to get on for years. That's that's fueling me. It's keeping me going, right? Get, that's the light. Get paid a whole I'm about to get paid ten dollars. Ten dollars, and I wasn't even getting paid for that. It wasn't even a show show. It was a showcase. It was an audition oh, to be part of the real show. But I'm excited. Like this is this is the, one of the hottest shows. So I'm, I'm going through my lines, but I'm also digging for change to do. This is why I want to do my laundry. And I look up, and I see her in the laundromat. And she's like behind a stack of books, which, you know, didn't surprise me because I knew she went to Stanford, educated. Um, And I'm like, oh, man, I can't go in there. I can't talk to her. But it's blowing my mind that this this woman who I saw on television. And I never had that thought before looking at a woman like that's Mm -hmm. my wife. Not that I want to marry her. Perhaps it was like that's my wife. And I go, but then my ego kicks in. And I go, I'm Leo Flowers. And I go, and we both at laundromat, so she can't be doing that much better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I walk in. I have no idea what I'm going to say, but I tell myself, like, you know, you, you just got to show up. I'm doing all the self-talk. And I go, uh, hey, did you go to Stanford? Which I remembered from the MTV thing. She had Stanford mm-hmm. across her chest. And she looked at me like, Nigga, you didn't go to Stanford because only five black people went there, and I knew all five of them. Yeah. Like she gave me that look, and I said, uh, "You look like I go. I dated a girl who went to Stanford, and I re- I remember you. I recognize you from one of her photos, which is half true. I did date a girl who went to Stanford, <laughs> but she I didn't recognize her from the photos. Yeah. Uh, and she then she did she know the girl? Did you ever? I didn't. Uh, I said her name, but uh, she didn't recognize the name. Okay. But I, but they were year they were like three four years apart. Oh, okay. So I go uh, and she's still looking at me like, like you know, is this? And then I go, me and her broke up because uh, she wouldn't shave her legs. So she started laughing, which is true. The girl would not shave her legs. And Beautiful that's black why woman. Why you broke up with her for real? For I mean, these legs was hairy. How long did y'all date before you could no longer take the hairy legs? Like a month. I just couldn't. I just didn't make like it didn't make sense. What was to her me. reason? I can't remember. I can't remember. But when you stopped- for me, I felt like it was defiance. Like she was just. It was. It was. A, it was. A, it was like a like it was a guard or so something. So like she would wear a skirt with hairy legs. Oh, she was always. She would like. She would wear a uh, hose or Pantyhose? pants. Yeah. Oh, so she would contain the hair inside yeah. a pantyhose yeah. casing. It was just I was like I, this doesn't make sense I don't understand it. So when you stopped talking to her, did you say I think you're a lovely woman, but you? No, nah, I, did, I didn't. No, nah, of course did not. Did you just, just ghost I just, her? I just, I just, yeah, I just let oh, it go. Yeah, yeah, you ghosted yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. You should have sent her like some raises on the mail. Maybe. Well, if you're listening, now you know. I'm sure she found somebody that loves heavy <laughs> legs, and you probably <laughs> braid them up every night before they go to bed. See, there's always somebody out there. That, that's absolutely. That's into that kind of thing. You know, she got character. Mm-hmm. Um. So she laughed at that. That's when I knew I was in right. And I mean, plus I was in. I was in. I was still incredible. I was because I was living out my car. I knew I, I really had to be in great shape. You know, you can't be living out your car. <laughs> And just eating nachos and Doritos. How long had you been living out your car? Three years. 
Three I lived out my car years? for three years. What yeah. kind of car and was it? I, I know, <laughs> it wasn't a great car. It's like while my shoulders and back is all jacked up and stuff. No, uh, but, but when I say three, it was like I was in and out. Like you know, I was basically like just. I mean, it's embarrassing and, and it's shame to say, but like I'd be hooking up with chicks just because I knew that they would. Oh, they let call me crash. it hob- a hobosexual. Yeah, is that what that's called? Yeah, a hobosexual. A hobo. So <laughs> you know. And but even to this day, I think because I was living out my car for so long, I I never feel settled now. That's why I was like wake up with this sense of anxiety. But how did you get a good night's sleep in the car? Where did you, you park you to like sleep in you peace? Park, you park in. You, dro- uh, you slept in a driver's seat, or you would lay the back down. Like what kind? Of, I want to know what kind of car is this. I had a, a Honda Accord. It was a Honda okay. Accord. So there's 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 enough space in there for you to lay the seat back down and, and sleep, but. You're definitely not getting quality of sleep because you're aware of your surroundings. You're aware that um, an officer could, and I've had that happen a number of times where they knock on your window. What are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. ID, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, people can break in your car. While, you know, it's just, you know, so many different scenarios. So many things can happen. Did I got car- towed while I was li- while I was sleeping in my car once. Did it look like you lived in your car? Like you No, no, I was very meticulous about it. So if you had never, um, if you walked by, you would have zero idea. If you looked at my windows, it, I had nothing. I made always made the last thing I needed was for somebody to break into my car. Mm-hmm. So I never had more than what would fit in my trunk. So what? How did you get told while you were in it? You were sitting in the driver's seat. I, they didn't see. And you? this was a time I wasn't even I wasn't even living out my car. I was. Um, I got, I went, I went to a, a nightclub and had one too many drinks. And I was like, let me sleep it off before I drive home because I didn't want to get a DUI. And I laid the seat back. And then I remember, like, I started dreaming that I was, like, rising out of a coffin. Like, I was a vampire. Mm-hmm. And then I opened my eyes and I was upright. And I was just, like, freaked the fuck out. And I was just, like, slammed on a horn. And then... I heard the beep beep, and it was just the, the and it was moving. And the, uh, the the driver stopped, got out. It was a woman, and basically, like you know, these tow trucks, they don't have to do anything to your car. They could, they don't have to get out their truck to tow you anymore. They can just back into your car, lift mm-hmm. you up, and then uh, drive off, which is what she did. But they're supposed to check the car because it could be a baby dog or. Mm-hmm. Some other stuff in there, so she didn't do that, and you know, of course, released me, and it was no problem after that. But, uh, but in some way, it looked at me like it was my fault that she told me, you know, whatever. Now, this isn't the three year mark. This is like, uh, this is like that, maybe a year in. But yeah, I was off and on. Uh, so not three years straight, mm-hmm. but off and on three years for sure. Um, and I see her in a laundromat, and I say what I say. And then when soon she laughs, I was like, you got to get the number right now. So I was like, I'm Leo Flowers, and I'd love to get you a call sometime. And she had a USC sweatshirt on. She was uh, getting her PhD at uh, USC at the time. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, even though I was living out my car, I go, I had already set it up in my mind that I was going to go on the road for three months. And I was leaving in two weeks. I was waiting to get my last check from uh, whatever job I had and then I was about to take off but I really wanted to make an impression on her because this is my this is my wife like every penny is worth it I don't give a fuck and so I I, I, um, 
uh, I got tickets to a Playboy outdoor jazz festival. It was just like in a Hollywood Bowl. It was outdoors. People bring picnics and uh, picnic stuff and, and items. So you're sitting on the grass. Mm-hmm. And it's a really dope thing. So I, I bought us tickets for that. And we had a great time. We got, had the picnic basket and food and snacks, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then I, I also knew that me, me saying that I was going to go on a road for three months sounded sexier to her. Then, you know, I really didn't have, all I had was like guest spots lined up. I wasn't really going to make any money. I was driving from LA to Boston and back. I didn't know how I was going to do it, where I was going to live, where I was going to stay. I just knew I had to keep moving. I had to do something, yeah. you know? Uh, and so we go on a date. Um, I, don't, I don't remember if we kissed at the end of it. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. But we stayed in touch. And I always, I remember feeling like, when I got back, like it was never, I was never worried mm-hmm. that she wasn't going to be there for me for whatever reason. Like I just, I just, I just knew you left. You left a good enough impression that at yeah, least she would still be right. Because after one date, you kind of if if one date in three months and like they didn't go out of town, you'd be like, all right, you yeah. do too much. But like, there's a purpose, and she wanted to support, right, right, or right. see what you were going to do, yeah, right, and. uh so, you know, and, and, and that just goes to the fact that, you know, people who say, like, when you meet that person, you just know. I just knew. I come back, and we just picked off. We picked up right where we left off at. I was still living out my car because, I did, you know, I had been going I home. Mean, you ain't so made no I'm money really on the road. You was doing guest right. Um, But I still had, like, a little change to, like, take her out here and there. And like I said, because I kept everything in the trunk and I was working out, I was in great shape. So there was... There was no hint of mm-hmm. I, I got a Honda Accord, which is a quality car, yeah. you know, and I'm st- I'm young, so it, you're not expecting a BMW just yet. Yeah, and she's a student, so you know all those things. And then, um, how old were you? I moved out there when I was 25, so I'm maybe about 27. Mm-hmm. And there's a point, of course, during a relationship where. I recognize that she knows that I'm not telling her something. So I'm like, I got to I got to yeah, tell her. She can never come to your place. Right. Right. But she's never really trying to come to my place. She's never asked because she's so busy with school and uh-huh. she was doing her residency. Got it. So there was no room for, you know, if we dated. It was tight windows. Like she was always like if we were driving to dinner. She'd be, she'd be, she would have her cue cards, her note cards with her and study. She's like, do you mind if I study? And I was like, you know, do what you got to do. Like any trip that we went on, she had her, her note cards and Mm -hmm. stuff. So, um, there was no, yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't too, she ain't had time to be worried about what I was doing, but she could, you know, she's a woman, intuition kicks in. So I was like, I got something to tell you. And I could immediately see in her eyes like this worry because, you know, when a, when a brother tells a sister, I got something to tell you, it could be a million things. Yeah. So when I was like, I live out my car, there was a look of relief on her face mm-hmm. because she was thinking AIDS. She, she really thought like I had a family, which is why she never thought she was like, you, you never offered she, to yeah, let me Yeah, she come thought over. I was married with kids and stuff. Yeah. And, um, so now she was like, oh, that's it. I got you, boo. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I moved in with her. And uh, and because we, sp- we were able to split the rent, like, that was manageable. For I could at least split the rent with her so there was never. Uh, you weren't freeloading. I wasn't freeloading. No, no, not at all. I, I was uh, 
because I was substitute teaching at the, that's what it was. I was substitute teaching at the time, and because of you know summertime hit, you don't get uh, paid. you don't get paid. But so it's it's hard to maintain your own household, but with someone else, it's easier. Absolutely, absolutely. And what was really killing me was you know for the listeners out there, you know what was killing me was I was. I was uh, a combination of ego and trying to do too much. I had this all or nothing kind of mentality where I had decided from the day I moved out there that I would never turn down an audition for for my job. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't come out here for, to work. I didn't come out here for a job. I came out here to, to be famous. I, I actually I was thinking to be famous. So... I was also losing a lot of money. So even though I had a job, uh, substitute teaching, which is very flexible, you know, sometimes I have to take the whole day off for one audition at 10 a.m. because it was the middle of the day, right? So I was also losing money. So it's not like I didn't have a job, which is why I was living on my car. It was that I wasn't making enough to get me out of my position. Yeah, I was making enough to stay there, but not enough to get me out. And also didn't have enough sense. Let me rephrase it. It's not that I wasn't making enough. I didn't have enough sense to get myself on firm ground first and then build from there. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, man, I'm in L.A. I did a play. Like, you know, I, everything was like I did a play. to be play. one hell of a play, man. And I got an agent so fast. Yeah. I was like, because, you know, I would tell people how fast I got an agent. They were like, damn, you got an agent already? And I was like, in my head, I was like, yeah, because, you know, I'm young. Mm-hmm. I play college. Look, I'm. I've been killing life since day one. Yeah. You know, Catholic school. Uh, I got a football scholarship, college paid for. I got my grad school paid for. I got a, a graduate assistantship. So you're not going to tell Leo Flowers that I'm, I'm going to be out here struggling with the peasantry yeah. for this job. And by the time my my the humility and reality and and uh, the, the bills, <laughs> uh, you know, real life kicked in, I, I was – I was so in debt and uh, just, you know, and, and so I, I, man, it was, I lost like a good 10 years of pro- productivity, wow. 10, 10, 10 to 13 years of just really um, beating your head against the brick wall, beating my head against the brick wall, being compl- disillusioned with what the, with what the business is and what I'm supposed to do. And, not having a strategy, I didn't have a plan, and not talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me to ask questions. I always thought that um, I would just move to L.A. and I figured it out on my own. I, I always did things on my own, and I was like, I figured it out. But um, L.A. is not the – nowhere is the place to do that. You should be asking questions yeah. and figuring out, and that way you don't have to go through – you don't have to – go through all the mistakes that somebody else went through. And just to wrap up the story, because I know the story, um, the reason why you broke up is because you cheated on her with three different women in one weekend. (laughs) Right, but that's that's what I did. Yes. Right, but the reason is my insecurity. Got it. Right, I was, was, she had, uh, she was moving uh, forward. She was moving to New York. She was about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I didn't want to, it goes back to feeling like a burden. I didn't, I didn't want to move to New York and be a burden again. Mm-hmm. I just was like, I loved her too much. to. I didn't want her thinking about me. It's like, go to New York, do what you're going to do, 
if if we meet up again, that's great. It was meant to be. Yeah. But I, I can't go. I can't feel like I'm holding you back. And so you cheated. So I cheated as a way of like, you to know, get, get out. out of here. But she still didn't want to let me go. So she, why didn't you think, okay, maybe I could just move to New York with her? Uh, Because I, I saw how hard it, it was so hard for me to, to get some footing in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just got a substitute teaching job and I had an agent and I was also confident that like I could I could do something that would take me out there. And I want to I wanted to make her proud. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because because she held me down for I don't know how long were we were to we were together for two years. That's yeah. the crazy thing. We we're together for two years. And I was like, fuck, like. You know. I was like, I can't have her. I just, I didn't want that feeling again Yeah. of me starting over. And I was like, I didn't know how to, I just didn't have life skills. How would you, like how would you have done things differently? Cause as you said, this is your wife. Um, I, I you know what I would have done differently though? Only, uh, only thing I would have talked to her. Mm-hmm. I, there was never a moment where, um, I expressed to her my anxiety and and my fear about the move and and uh I in my head I just felt like she, I felt I was like she's ready to go she she doesn't I was like she doesn't need me but that that word need came from me having always uh me having felt objectified and so I was object you know everything to me was a need base like I don't need you so why are we you know, it goes back to the, I, we were talking about conversation, everything's like, everything has to have a goal. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that would be the only difference is I would have actually been like, here's what I'm feeling. Mm. But I, I didn't, you know, even with my master's degree and all the, the books that and I've count, read. You were and a couple's counselor. And a couple's counselor and things like that. Um, I didn't, I didn't have those tools. Yeah. To, to have that conversation and that's the that's the one difference i, w- mm-hmm. I would have i would have made it's just been like here's what's happening and so leo uh now has his own podcast called before you kill yourself which is a very uh interesting topic in the platform for which he uses to help people talk themselves off the ledge of ending their lives because you've had personal experience with that and he talks about it very openly on stage and in his podcast. So check out his podcast. But what what makes you become this more introspective person over time? Like, was there a moment? Like, was there? I mean, because even after this situation with this woman who you said was your wife and it kind of went away, you still continue to have like issues communicating. So now at forty two, what what has changed your life around? seeing the power of communication mm-hmm. um I, you know like i said i've always been the person who i you know i held it all in and it was like i got i always felt like i got to figure this out and then i started seeing people move ahead of me and you know whatever that means and i'm like how are they getting this high and i go oh relationships and they're asking questions and they're talking to people and uh, they're putting themselves out there and uh, not afraid to look, you know, stupid or dumb or, or whatever. And, but 
also recognizing the value of um, taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it means, you know, I think usually when people think about taking care of themselves, it is uh, it's in a some type of cosmetic thing of, uh, you know, going to a spa or uh, working out or the food. But really it's um, not just take, about taking care of yourself, but taking care of your your relationships and taking care of uh, the way you are treating yourself and talking to yourself and what you're allowing in your um in your circle, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's what it is, is like, I've been humbled. I've been humbled and witnessing part of that humility comes from witnessing people who I feel like are, are greater people than me. And I know that's not a whatever thing to say, but the Philip Seymour Hoffman's, the Anthony Bourdain's, the Rashawn Salam's, the junior Seau's to be like, Oh, if they have taken their life, mm-hmm. um, what like what's what chance do I stand? Yeah, and so I because you thought they had it all. Because you right, right. Because you go, you you had everything that I that I was I would have wanted, mm-hmm. and you still like adios. Yeah. So that becomes scary to me, and I go, oh, I have to take this much more seriously than um, when you have. A students, when you have doctors, when you have lawyers, people who, you know, we uh, esteem and hold in high regard, t- taking their life. What? The person on a yeah. pedestal doesn't want to be up there? Did you have, how many times have you actually tried to commit suicide? I've, I've never attempted uh, suicide in the way that we think about it. Um, but you have the thoughts. But I have the thoughts. And I, I experienced, there's a thing called parasuicide. Mm-hmm. So where you you do things that could potentially kill you. So like if you look at over people who OD, a lot of them, um, you know, they're t- they're taking drugs. I mean, they're not taking the drug to kill themselves necessarily. They um, they're just trying to numb the pain, mm-hmm. but they get the dosage wrong. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and. And so you see, like, an increase in uh, risky behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like, oh, it's not that, it's that you're not deciding that you want to kill yourself, but you're putting yourself in uh, precarious or dangerous situations. And so there was some level of that, right? Um, and I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that that's, you know, people who drink a lot, mm-hmm. Right. And so what what happens is when you put yourself in these risky situations, it inoculates you and it reduces your fear of the final act. So somebody who jumps, right, they don't just jump off the building. They'll practice jumping on a subconscious level from different heights. They'll cliff dive. They'll uh, maybe uh, skydive, bungee jumps. So every time they do something like that, it takes their fear away of jumping mm-hmm. and then they jump. And so that's why like I would never bungee jump or uh skydive. Because you don't want to get comfortable with Because I don't want to get comfortable Is with that. Is that why you were freaking out when we ziplined yesterday? 
No, I wasn't. No, not because that's a little <laughs> different. Because that is uh, you, you're kind of going straight ahead. I yeah. wasn't. I, I did think about that for a second, mm-hmm. but um, I would imagine going straight down is much more. Yes. Um, a much different experience. But so I think about things like that, uh, pills, right? Like you were talking about how you took Flintstone vitamins yeah. as a kid. And to me, I really feel like that's where it starts. It starts with, you know, you get kids used to taking these pills, these vitamins. Mm-hmm. So they get used to getting the cure out of a bottle. Yeah. I actually wasn't successful. I mean, clearly I wasn't one. Their vitamins, two. They were chewables, so it was. Mm-hmm. A, I would have had to chew a lot. A lot of vitamins. But the vitamins. point is, but the intent was there, yeah, which is what's dangerous. Because you associate it with, you just see on TV that people take pills. You know how many times yeah. it was like a suicide episode on like a different strokes and uh, facts of life. Get out of here. Yeah, they was always taking pills. It was, and that's why I would see it. I would see it on all of those like rerun shows after school. You know, like they would just open pills and take them without even drinking water. I'm like, how the fuck you swallow that pill, bitch? With no water? And then they take a handful, you know, being dramatic and shit and drink it with some alcohol. Yeah, I think they definitely cut down on all of that, that suicide stuff in TV. But it was a lot. I had no idea. And you know what I just realized? And have you ever watched that show, MASH? No, I mean, that was, I think it was in reruns. I never liked it. So the show MASH was like from the... 80s i believe no 70s 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 into the 80s it was like one of the longest running tv shows it was took place in like vietnam it's supposed to be like this medical medical unit in vietnam all right so the opening theme song for mash is a song called suicide is painless Mm. right absolutely and you think about how many years this show was on air and nobody and, knew. And, and, you know, and and it was in the lyrics. And, you know, even the lyrics were like, through early morning fog, I see visions of things to be. The pains that are withheld from me, I realize and I can see that suicide is painless. It brings on many changes and I can take or leave it if I please. The game of life is hard to play. I'm going to lose it anyway. The losing card I'll someday lay. So this is all I have to say. Suicide is painless. This is, and MASH was a comedy. It had a laugh track. No. But that's, the, I mean, there's there's more in there, but, you know, for the, the listeners out there. Um, so there are all these different subliminal messages that you're receiving that you don't even realize. Well, yeah. Because it's like. Well, you think about messaging, like in Vegas, you, you, the messaging here is incredible of the things that you internalize and you don't even realize you internalize it how so just you know I, there was something i walked past and i was like wow that is so powerful because it makes you want to get that thing or buy into that thing or think you need this thing like materialistic stuff that we see a lot of times but advertising it makes you feel like like for example the slogan of what happens in vegas stays in vegas gives you the invitation to do a whole bunch of fuckery Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so you're like this is a neutral place i can do i can do drugs you know for the first time or i can have sex with this random person or you know i could just act the damn fool because i've been given permission from the marketing to do whatever what happens in vegas stays and that's such a dangerous uh yeah 
you know, and then you, you couple that with, you know, you get in the casinos with no windows mm-hmm. and uh, the pumped up oxygen, pump, pumped up oxygen, bright lights, no plant life, no really no signs of life. Smoke, Nothing. Cigarette smoke. smoke so you're in a haze yep. and it's just all debauchery. And it looks like it looks like everyone's having a great time yep. or better time than you. And they're not. And they're not. It's dangerous. I was on the elevator the other day, and this couple got on, and there was so much heat and space between the two. Yeah. I don't even know why families come here. Like, Why would you bring your kid? They had a kid. They had yeah, a five, there's six a lot of kids here. Well, there's actually like a cheerleading competition going on right now, so you see a lot of these girls with and, heavy makeup. And they, oh. Heavy, heavy, heavy ass makeup, like bright red lipstick, high ponytail, little short skirts. They had to be at least 11, 12. Why are you having a cheerleading co- competition in Vegas when there's nothing but those naked uh, uh, escort cards yeah. laying all over the place? I, I don't know. Naked billboards, naked. There's go go dances on the, on the floor go- at night. Right. Yeah. And you have to walk through the casino Absolutely. to get to your hotel. To get to anything. Yeah. Everything and goes the, through and the, the casino. And the waitresses, the waitresses have tiny, tiny, tiny skimpy outfits on. Yeah, that's right. That aren't much different than mm. a cheerleading outfit. Mm. It's a whole nother. That's a, anyway. So a man, so basically a man playing the. Uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> let's wrap this up so I can take a nap before our show tonight. Uh, I end the podcast the same way I end up everyone. Leo Flowers, what makes you a social misfit? Uh, I like to ask uh, heavy questions. You know, uh, I don't. I'm not much for small talk, so I, you know, I'll be like, you know, is it better to be good or great? Mm-hmm. And I'll start the conversation off like that. Or, um, you know, what? When was the last time you cried? Mm-hmm. I like to, you know, I like to ask. I like to ask questions that really let's, let's get the party started. When was the last time you cried? Shit, uh, I had almost made me cry the other night trying to trying to extend her hand of friendship to her brother. Ida Rodriguez. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, almost. She almost, but I was about to get on stage, and I asked her. I was like, "What you about to say to me? Is it is it something that I need to hear before I get on stage? Because I'm I'm a very uh, I have a very fragile ecosystem. Oh yeah, you love telling people how fragile your ego is. You know what? Um, I. <laughs> You know, like we were I walking. Heard Jeff die. We were walking, and I and I dipped <laughs> off, and he was like, "You know, I have abandonment issues." And I'm like, "I just turned the corner." Oh, you know, Jeff die. Yes. Right. So we were in the green room, and I forgot what what someone said or, or did or whatever. And he goes, "I'm very fragile," <laughs> and it and it made me laugh so much because it was because. You know, he was being light about it, but at the same time, you could always feel the the seriousness truth, of yeah. it, the truth there, the truth of it, and uh, it just stuck with me. Of like, because you know, you you spend so much energy trying to be tough or hard or uh, in a shell or whatever, or like I got it all, and then it's like there's there's also a strength in just saying. I don't. I don't. Nah, I ain't got this. But I then don't also, know. it allows, it, and then it shows people how you need to be handled. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And there's something fun and ridiculous in just being like, oh, right, oh, you, you got mad. me. He yeah, was mad yeah. at me last night because we were walking out of the showroom and I went to, first of all, I was high and I got, I drifted off into a high thought and I turned the corner and then I meet him up again. He goes, this is why you get left. This is why you get left. Yeah, I turned around and you was gone. I was like, damn, daddy. Shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, she just be wandering off. I'm gonna get you one of those uh, backpack with the leash <laughs> attached to it. <laughs> well, where can everybody find you, Mr. Uh, Flowers? LeoFlowers.com. If you're on uh, Instagram, uh, just type in Leo hashtag Leo Talks because I, I really see things that I talk about. And then uh, my podcast is a suicide prevention podcast titled before you kill yourself well there you go thank you for joining me in your uh, palatial suite he has a very nice suite he's better than the rest of us in the show he upgraded himself I did did. Um, but it's a nice view of the construction of Vegas (laughs) because they're building up everything around here everything and thank you guys for listening and I'm so glad to be back um, with new episodes every week so check in for new episodes every Wednesday thank you guys thanks for listening take care